Everybody, everybody feeling good? Wow, what a day, what a day, what a day. I don't know what's going on at the other campuses, but here at Richmond, we had a little church this morning, didn't we not? It felt great, man. It was good. We had Liz Vaughn singing. We had the B3 organ playing. Jesse was on the B3. It was like, man, it scared all the high church folks. I'll tell you that much. We had a great time. Hey, I want to say welcome to my mom who watches online and everybody else who watches online. We have people all over the place watching online. We have some cadets up at West Point today watching online with their parents. So, man, we're so glad you're watching Cameron. Cheryl, Kevin, we're so glad we have people all over the world. God-forsaken places like Austin, Texas. They, ex they emailed me and said, we're watching from Austin, Texas. And I said, well, you'll need God over there, that's for sure. But uh, we're so glad you watched. And if you're at the Missouri City campus and new, go by and see Chad Harold. He'd love to say hi to you. As well as uh, our West End campus. Abe's out today, but Keaton's down there, my son. And uh, sometimes he's nice, so maybe he'll buy you a coffee. If you're at West End, go by and say hi to Keaton. He'd love to plug in, get, get, uh, get you involved, or, or at least meet you and make sure you feel comfortable there for sure. Hey, uh, so we're glad. We also have uh, a, a church at the Ramsey Unit with the Texas Department of Corrections, and we're so excited. Men, thank you for coming to church today. We love you. We're so glad you're here. So good. Hey, we're in this series called uh, When Life Gives You Lemons. What do you make? Lemonade. Lemonade. That's right. So it's, it's hard to do. So we thought this is actually Abe's uh, idea, which I thought was a great one. On all three campuses today, we have a lemonade stand. And uh, we want you to grab some lemonade and make a donation because all the money that goes for the lemonade today goes to our special needs ministry, which now operates on all three campuses. This is uh, really an amazing ministry. On our campus, uh, Wendy Akers and Tanya Cisneros run that. It's really great. It's a population of people that have unique struggles and challenges, and we want to partner with them. So 100% of the money that, uh, that goes into these lemonade things. And you can give. You say, well, I didn't bring any cash because we live in a cashless society. I got you covered. You can just, uh, right here, there's a drop down or something. You can text your keyword, right, 77977. I think there's a way to give to lemonades or special needs or, oh, special needs right there, lemonade stand. Should have said lemonade stand. It's good. If not, just drop $1,000 in the box out there. It doesn't matter. <laughs> Most expensive lemonade you'll ever have. Just whatever you can do. You can have it for free. We don't really care. So, But, you know, the story here is a story of named Joseph. And Joseph was a... Uh, it was a uh, character that we can all relate to at some level, but his life was so extreme and so dramatic, it's really hard to put ourselves in the place. But there's some principles we're trying to draw out of this so that we can understand the roller coaster ride that we have here on earth. Excuse me, I had some uh, coffee. And, uh, but think about Joseph's life. He was a favorite son, and then he was a hated brother. I mean, just ups and downs. He got this coat of many colors, and then he got beat up, put in a well, sold as a slave. Then, when he got to Egypt uh, from, uh, from Israel, he uh, was sold into Potiphar's house, who was a high-ranking official in the Egyptian uh, government. And then he, he rose to a great rank there as a slave in Potiphar's house. And then he got falsely accused of a crime he didn't commit, and he got thrown in jail. I mean, just really an amazing ups and downs. You're thinking, oh. And somehow in jail, he, he sort of stabilized and got his, got his act together. And that's where we kind of pick up the story today. Now, what I want you to see here is 
in these narratives in the Bible, this is the book of Genesis, in these narratives, oftentimes we don't really have a sense of time, how much time passed by. But we know it was a long ride from uh, Israel to Egypt. And so what, we, what, I, what I don't want to do, and I don't want to rob you of this, because I, I need this. When something happens to you that's difficult and troubling and trials, it takes you a minute to get your head around this. And we go into a crisis when something unexpected happens in our life that's dramatic or t- traumatic. It takes you a minute to kind of stabilize. We don't really get the insight on what that process looked like for Joseph. We just see him up and then down. And so I don't want to take that away. So something's happened to you recently, and you're not ready to take the steps we talk about during this time learning from Joseph's lives, then I get that. But we're going to pick up the story, and Joseph's in prison, and he's been in prison for some time. We don't really know how much time, but some time, and he meets two fellas. Okay, y'all with me? Everybody here? West End, you there? How about Missouri City? Everybody okay? <laughs> okay. So fun. I was going to tell a joke, but I'm not. Anyway, here we go. <laughs> sometime later. How much later? Heck, we don't know. Sometime later. He'd been in prison for a while, okay? Because we know he raised, rose up the ranks in the prison, just like he'd done everywhere else, because he did what he could where he was at. And he, he, he made the most of it. So sometime later, here's what happened. A cupbearer and the baker of the king of Egypt offended their master, the king of Egypt. And Pharaoh was angry with these two officials and the chief cupbearer and the chief baker. And he put them in custody in the house of the captain of the guard in the same prison where Joseph was confined. Just so happens that these two ended up in the same prison. The captain of the guard assigned them to Joseph and he attended to them. Now, here's what I want you to start noticing, this human thing that happens. After they had been in custody for some time, again, we don't know how much time, each of the two men, the cupbearer and the baker of the king of Egypt, were being held in the prison, had a dream, and they had a dream the same night, and each dream had a meaning of its own, a different meaning, okay? And when Joseph came to them the next morning, he saw that they were dejected. And he asked Pharaoh's officials who were in the custody with him in his master's house, why are your faces so sad today? So, you know, you just kind of read the story. It's kind of an interesting narrative, but you have to put yourself in the place of Joseph. Joseph was a consummate victim. He was wounded. He was victimized. He was unjustly imprisoned for a charge or a crime he did not commit, and he'd been there for some time. Now, what I want you to do is I want you to think about how you respond, and everybody responds slightly differently, how you respond when you get wounded or when you become the victim. And we all have been victimized at some level, some people, dramatic levels. What happens to you? Where do you go? I mean, some people get angry. Some people, when they're victimized, they get depressed. Some people, like me, we isolate, try to figure it out. I mean, we all respond differently. Some of you, these are the most aggravating people of you. Listen, some of you act like nothing just happened. You just pretend it didn't happen, just did not know. Big deal, praise the Lord. Jesus is with me. Oh, yeah? <laughs> you know, you just kind of act like it's no big deal. But we all respond differently to trauma, to difficulty, to trouble, Right? And somehow, I don't know what Joseph does when he he experienced it, but somehow, because some time had gone by, he had stabilized enough to notice other people. Now, this is sort of the red flag, right? This is the idea that at some point, and I'm telling you this, and it may be your time, maybe this is the whole reason you showed up today, 
there has got to be a time where you turn the corner and you, and, you, and you quit being debilitated by your problem. And you usually have to do that before your problem goes away. You know, you can't wait for everything to get good and go, oh, good, look, I'm happy. You cannot be that circumstantially controlled because we live in a broken world and circumstances are unfair. And something happens. So what do we do when we're in trouble? Well, after you stabilize and after you come to a place in your life where you, where you can figure it out and you, you sort of get on an even keel, there's some things that I think you can do that's very therapeutic and very helpful even in the midst of your trouble. Now, I know some of us are hanging on just waiting for life to get better, but you don't have to wait. You don't have to wait for your life to get better to do some things that will really help you feel better before things are better. Now, here's what Joseph did, and this is kind of amazing if you think about, really, that he was in prison unjustly. And he was there for some time, and he was put in charge of some other prisoners, and he made the most of it. Here's, the, here's something I've learned that even though his life was not great, Joseph cared about other people. He cared. His heart was tender. I don't know about you, but my head gets down, and I don't even care. I get obsessive about my own problems. And I don't know, you've got your problems, i got my problems. You worry about you, I worry about me. That's sort of my attitude. God, how did I get this job? <laughs> but that's what happens. We all sort of, not all of us, but I withdraw. I just like, oh, man, i got enough problems of my own. And some of you feel that way today. But somewhere along the way, Joseph was able to notice the new prisoners, and they'd been there for some time, and they had this dream, and then their faces were dejected, and they asked him, why are you so sad? The fact that he cared is a powerful thing. So the question for us is, even though you're in trouble and things are not going great, what do you care about? Who do you care about? What breaks your heart? If you're not careful, your heart will get calloused over, and you won't care about anything but yourself and yours. And yet God's given you all this opportunity and these people. Now, to care because there's hurt everywhere. Now, I will say this because some of you are overachievers and you aggravate me so much. <laughs> you can't care about everything and you can't care about everybody. Quit, drinking, quit bringing all those stray pets home, okay? So but I'm saying you ought to care about something. That's my mo bigger concern is we get so consumed with the pressures and the stress of life that we just sort of say, oh, okay, well, I can't worry about that. There has to be some moment in time where you figure out that when you care about other people, it helps you. It helps you not obsess on your own problems. It helps you not, not totally self-absorb. It helps your depression. It helps everything, really. So what do you care about? Yeah, this week, I was down at um, West End studying at the coffee house. And a staff member comes up to me and says, hey, pastor, listen, I got a homeless guy out here, and he's intoxicated, and... Um, I don't really want to know, do you, you know, can you help me? And I said, listen, I'm studying God's word right now, and I can't, you know, <laughs> help you. <laughs> I'm doing God's word. <laughs> no, of course, I didn't say that. I said, sure. So I went out and I met this fellow, and he was intoxicated, and he was homeless. And he was an Hispanic fellow from uh, a mountain region of, uh, I think he was from Oaxaca, Mexico. And uh, he's about my age, actually. And he was in a bad place. And it just broke my heart, man. It just broke. And, and you know, he, he spoke broken English, and, and he was intoxicated, so there's nothing harder to understand than Spanish that's slurred, okay? <laughs> but I got him a chair, and I got him some bread, and I got him some water, and we, we got to he talk. And he, he, was, he, was, he was threatening to hurt himself. And, boy, it just scared me so bad, and his life was terrible, and he had this... 
the pain in his leg he showed me, and it's like, oh, my gosh. So we had to call the authorities because I didn't want him to hurt himself, and while we were waiting there, we talked. And I didn't understand a lot of what he said, but I'll tell you this. He reached out to me at one point, and he looked at me, and he outstretched hand. He said, pray for me. And I said, I can pray for you. And so I gave him a big old bear hug, and uh, I prayed for him, man. And I tell you, it just broke my heart. It wrecked me. It wrecked me, you know. I went back to my study after he got taken off to the hospital. And he's just like, oh, here's the thing. God loves that fellow more as much as he loves me, you know. I mean, come on. I mean, it just, so what I'm saying is, man, I, there was something great about that for me. I cared. I prayed. I can't fix that fella. God wanted to fix him. Can't fix him, but I can pray for him, and I can help, and I can care. That's the first step, because that is the deal. I could tell as they were loading him up and taking him off that he was comforted. So there was a connection there, that there was something there that was powerful. I'm praying I'll see that man again and see how he's doing and check up on him, because he was in a bad way. You see, that's a powerful thing to care about others. In fact, Paul talks about it in 2 Corinthians. He says this, Praise be the God of the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of compassion and the God of all comfort. What a great description of God. The God of all comfort. That's who we serve right there. Then who comforts us in all of our troubles. And you got them and so do I. So that we can comfort those in any trouble, any trouble, with the comfort we ourselves have received from God. So there's this idea that there's a bigger picture. When we get in trouble or experience pain, we sort of get myopic in our vision and we sort of get downtrodden. And comfort is being able to raise our heads up and say there's a bigger picture. So we got to look around into the faces of other people and see some pain and care about it. Don't put your head down and just deal with yours. The most therapeutic thing you can do is care about somebody that's struggling and hurting. I'm telling you, it helps you. So what do you care about? If you don't care about much or many or any, it's a, it's a problem. It's a trouble. You got, you got to care. And again, let me just say this because I'm nervous at all about you people. You, you over-carers. Overachievers, you know, you can't, this ain't about fixing anybody. This is just about showing comfort. This is, this is about a hug. This is about I'm with you, I understand you, and I love you. This is what this is about. I can't fix you, I can't even help you, but I'm with you. See, that, that's what it's about. And somehow, that's what Joseph was able to do with the cupbearer, which I'm not exactly sure what the cupbearer does. Cupbearer, I guess, gives a cup of wine which ain't a bad job, and, uh, and so the, the, the Pharaoh will make sure he's not poisoned or whatever. And I don't know what the cupbearer and the baker did. I mean, how big of a offense could the baker do? But, the, you know, it's a terrible croissant. I mean, what is it? I mean, what's, what's the problem going on? But they got thrown in jail, and, and, and I'm sure they just like, their head was spinning too, and it was like, oh, my gosh, you know, what's, what's happened here? And Joseph was the one that stepped up and said, I see you got a problem, and I care about it. And then here's the problem. It begins to develop. It goes from here. We both had dreams, both the baker and the cupbearer said. And they answered, there's no one to interpret the dream. And Joseph said, well, do not interpretations belong to God? And all of a sudden, he points to God in this deal. Tell me your dreams. So the chief cupbearer told Joseph his dream. So there's this wild thing that's happening. The cupbearer and the baker had a dream. 
And they go to Joseph, and Joseph said, well, I've interpreted one dream. It got me in trouble, but okay, I'll do it again. Here we go. And so they tell him the dream. Here's the dream. The dream was, he said to them, well, in my dream, the cupbearer says, I saw a vine in front of me, and on the vine were three branches, and as soon as it budded, its blossoms, it blossomed, and its clusters ripened into grapes. Pharaoh's cup was in my hand, and I took the grapes and squeezed them into the Pharaoh's cup and put them in the cup of his hand. Here, this is what it means, Joseph said. The three branches are three days, and within three days, Pharaoh will lift up your head and restore you to your position. This is good news. And you will be put in Pharaoh's cup in his hand again, just as you used to do when you were his cup bearer. So, so it's a dream, and the dream was, hey, I've got this thing going on, and, and Joseph goes, well, i got great news. In three days, you're going to get out of jail, and you're going to be restored to your job, and you're going to give the cup to the Pharaoh. And then Joseph realized, this guy I just interpreted the dream for is about to get out of jail. So he says this. He says, but when all goes well with you, remember me. Remember me, and show me kindness. Mention me to the Pharaoh, right? And get me out of this hellhole. It's my interpretation. <laughs> Get me out of here, right? So he did this incredible thing. He, he cared about other people. So when life isn't going great for you, you, you care. And then he interpreted the dream. He shared his gifts. So the two things we can learn so far from Joseph is he cared about others and he served others. That's why we say, that's why we say around here at River Point and West End that we want you to serve. We want you to get your life away. Because, and you're saying, I just can't, I don't, it's not a good time for me. Yeah, I know. That's why you should do it. Because if you're not careful, you're just going to obsess on your own life. And you ought to share your gifts. God's given you a gift. Now, nowhere in the scripture do we see where Joseph prayed for the gift of interpreting, interpreting? Is that a word? Interpreting, thank you, dreams. He just got it. God gave him a gift, just like God's given you a gift. God's given you skills. God's given you passions. And that's why we say around here, everybody works. I know you're comfortable sitting in that chair with the air conditioner running. But you're going to grow when you give your life away. In fact, it's going to be therapeutic, and you're going to get your eyes off your own problems long enough to care about other people. And you're going to see that your life counts in the life of other people. That's what happens. So I think you ought to be doing something that you don't want to do, that you use your gifts. You want to grow? Teach middle school. Uh -huh. <laughs> Nothing like trying to be patient with a 12-year-old, right? It's like, uh, I'll tell you, I've been, in, I've been doing ministry 30-plus years full-time here, and the hardest, worst assignment I ever gave myself was Lisa and I started a middle school Bible study when my kids were in middle school at my house. And we had 25 middle school kids come over to the house every Tuesday night, and I hated every minute of it. <laughs> Lisa was so much patient. She'd make cookies, and the girls, they didn't listen. They didn't care. I was such a big shot pastor. I mean, they didn't care at all. They didn't even respect me. They didn't listen to me. They talked. I mean, it was awful. And I thought, well, that was the first couple of weeks. It'll get better. Eight weeks later, it never did. It was awful. It got so bad, our neighbor, this is a true story, our neighbor 
called the sheriff one time on us. I don't know what she thought was happening, but she called, well, the sheriff shows up. Of course, the sheriff goes to our church, so I invited him in for some cake. And uh, <laughs> come on in, sheriff, you know, you know, yeah, I don't know. And I go, could you arrest some of these kids? I mean, seriously, <laughs> they're awful. And they're going to get arrested. Let's just get it over with. I mean, they're headed the wrong way. I can't help them. I mean, really, this is over. The only thing I learned in that eight weeks is never do this again, okay? <laughs> but you ought to be doing something, man. You ought to just sign up for something. If not, here's the, here's the danger. It doesn't look like a danger, but this is a danger. The danger, if you're not careful, ooh, God, I hate to tell you this. It's such a pretty day. <laughs> if you're not real careful, you will arrange your life so you only do what you want to do. That is not good. It sounds dreamy, but it ain't. But you giving your life away and caring about others and serving others, using your talents to help others, that is it. So, get back to the story. The cupbearer is this amazing news. You, I'm going to get out in three days, and I'm going to be the cupbearer again? That's awesome. Well, the baker got excited. Now, I'm not going to tell you the whole story. You should read Genesis chapter 40 for yourself. But the beggar goes, he's getting out in three days. Here's my dream. And he tells him his dream. And, and, and his dream ain't so good. <laughs> and so Joseph had to say, well, oh, Mr. Baker, I've got some good, good news for you too, I guess. Uh, you are going to get out of prison, but you will be executed when you do. But how about it for the cupbearer, huh? <laughs> so that's what happened, you know? The cupbearer gets out, gets restored. The baker gets out, gets killed. I don't know. I'm telling you, man, as one bad baker. I'll tell you, something bad happened to him. So remember what Joseph said to the cupbearer. Hey, when you get out of here, mention me to Pharaoh. Don't forget me, right? Here's what happened in verse 23. The chief priest, I'm sorry, the chief cupbearer, however, did not remember Joseph. He forgot him. What? I'm sure the cupbearer gets out. Joseph starts packing his bag. You know, he's like, oh man, I'm going to get out of here. I can't believe this. He forgot. Have you ever been forgotten? There ain't a worse feeling in the world than being forgotten. Like forgotten on your birthday or forgotten on an anniversary. I've never forgotten an anniversary, I don't think. I have forgotten a birthday. I have four kids. I can't keep them straight. And um, have you ever just been forgotten? We have four kids. And Lisa and I, oftentimes, when we were raising these kids, we'd meet separately at a, at a restaurant for dinner, you know, after their practices and stuff. I can't tell you how many times we've both driven off thinking that the other had the child, and we didn't. And we've, we've, left, them, uh, we've left Matthew several times. He's the youngest. I remember going up here. What's the name of that restaurant, Lisa? Ruthie's. So we're up here at Ruthie's. Up here at Ruthie's. So we get home. And I go, where's Matthew? I thought you had Matthew. I didn't have Matthew. Dang. <laughs> ha! I get in the car, drive up there, and there is Matthew with Luis, our favorite waiter, right? <laughs> Holding his hand. He's crying on the corner. Ah! You know? And all I could say to Luis was, gracias. <laughs> Grandma, 
I said, what happened, son? Matthew said, I don't know. I went to the bathroom. I came back. Y'all were gone. Matthew's 27 now, and we'll be out at a restaurant, and he'll go, hey, y'all, I'm going to the bathroom, but I'll be back. So when he goes, we all leave. And uh, I was in, I'll tell you this other funny story, just because I ain't got nothing else to do the rest of the day. Keaton and I, Keaton, my oldest, has two kids. Uh, Bonella, I got a picture of him right up here. Look at Bonella. Oh, right there. Look at that. Bonella six and five years old. So the girls were doing something else. And so Keaton goes, come meet me for dinner. I'm watching the kids. So we went over there and they had this little play area outside and Keaton and Bo and Ella were playing outside. And then Keaton says, I got to go to the bathroom. This is always the start of trouble, by the way. I got to go to the bathroom. I said, okay, I got the kids. I'll watch the kids. I couldn't even see the kids, but okay, yeah, go ahead. So they're over there playing in this deal. And I know one thing, I've learned this as a good grandfather. My granddaughter, who's five years old, runs up to me and says, Pappy, I got to go to the bathroom. And I knew, like she meant now, like this. Well, you know, uh, Keaton's gone. I said, come on, let's go. I did, not want to, I did not want to explain to her mother why we had this problem. And so I whisk her up and I run to the bathroom. There's an adjoining bathroom. Keaton's in one because it's locked. I can't get in there. And I hear his voice. And so we go in the other one and we made it. We were so excited, celebrating. And then I realized, Bo's out there by himself. I... <laughs> And then I'm waiting for Keaton to come out. I don't know what he's doing in there, but man, he's taking him a long time. I got the door open. Ella's yelling at me. Pappy, close the door. I said, I can't close the door because when your dad comes out, I got to go rescue Bo. And we're just waiting there and anxious. And finally, Keaton comes out. I said, man, golly, take your time. What are you taking a break in there? And he comes out and I go, you got to watch Ella. And he goes, where's Bo? And I go, I don't know. (laughs) So he goes in with Ella And I go out, and as I'm going out into the restaurant, Bo is walking in with, welled up with tears. And he is mad mad as a horn. When he sees me, it's not like, oh, it's like, where you been, pappy? I said, well, I had to go to the bathroom. I tried to explain the whole thing to him, and he wouldn't listen. And he said, I thought you, did you think I left you, Bo? Yes, I thought you left me. I said, come here, I would never leave you. Your dad would, I would never, <laughs> Pappy would never leave you. Your dad's terrible like that, but I would, because I thought you left me. And I mean, just, you, could, you know that feeling? That's what Joseph had. The cupbearer got out, got his thing, and didn't even remember what happened. And a lot of time went by. I mean, really, a lot of time. He, he got forgotten for a long time. In fact, we're told how long. It says this, two full years. Yeah, you stay encouraged for two full years. They're like, I'm not even supposed to be in here. I let the cupbearer get out. I tell him to remember me. He didn't remember me, and I'm still here. But something unexpected happened. When two full years had passed, the Pharaoh had a dream. And the Pharaoh had this dream. It was a weird dream. It was seven fat cows, seven thin cows. I'll tell you about it in a second. But the point was he couldn't find anybody to interpret the dream. And he asked everybody. And finally, the cupbearer goes, hey, I, I just thought of something. A couple of years back when I was in prison, there was this Hebrew kid, 
you can interpret dreams. Well, isn't that good timing? You ought to ask him. His name is Joseph. So the cupbearer finally remembers. And they send for him. In fact, verse 14, chapter 41, Pharaoh sent for Joseph. And Joseph was quickly brought from the dungeon that he'd been for a long time. And he had shaved and changed his clothes. And he came before Pharaoh. And Pharaoh said to Joseph, I had a dream and no one can interpret it. But I have heard it said that you, that when you hear a dream that you can interpret it. Well, Joseph points back to God. He says this. He says, I can't interpret your dream, but God's given me this gift, and so God can do this. So he points Pharaoh to God and says, but God will give Pharaoh the answer he desires. So the dream was this. There were seven fat cows, meaning there were seven years coming that were going to be plentiful. Lots of grain, lots of harvest, a lot of agricultural success. And then after that seven years, there were going to be seven skinny cows, and I'm not talking about the ice cream, seven skinny cows of famine. And so what he says is, he comes up with this strategy, and he says, you've got to prepare for this. God's telling you so, sort of what the future ha- ha- happens. And so this amazing thing begins to happen. You can think about this. So if the three things we're going to learn from Joseph are, first of all, care about others, and then the second thing is to do something and to serve others, the third thing is to expect the unexpected. This is the hardest part. Like when you're in trouble, here's the problem is, the problem that we get is that we think we know how this is going to turn out, and we finish the story for God. And because we're arrogant... Yes, you are. And defensive. And when you said, no, I'm not, you are, (laughs) by definition. We close the book on the supernatural or the miracle or the unexpected, whatever you believe. I mean, some of you don't believe in God and Jesus saying things happen. But we get discouraged when we can't see how things are going to work out or how things are going to get better. And we can't figure it out. And here's the thing. You're not supposed to figure it out. You're not supposed to be a good future teller. I mean, really, we don't even see the past correctly, let alone the present or the future. So when we are convinced that we know how things are going to work and they don't work that way, we get discouraged, depressed. God, God doesn't give us this gift. And so God gave this sort of this interpretation gift to, to Joseph. Joseph never asked for it, but he got it and he shared it and Pharaoh needed it. I mean, that's totally unexpected. And then here's the strategy. Here's what happens. This is amazing. And now let Pharaoh, here's the Joseph talking to the Pharaoh, the, let, let, Je, let the, the Pharaoh look for a discerning and wise man and put him in charge of the land of Egypt. And let Pharaoh appoint commissioners over the land to take a fifth of the harvest uh, of Egypt during the seven years of abundance. Then they should collect all the food that these good years that are coming and store up for Store up the grain under the authority of the Pharaoh to be kept in the cities for food. Then this food should be held in reserve for the country. What a great strategy to be used during the seven years of famine that will come upon Egypt so that the country may not be ruined by the famine. So he says, appoint somebody over this because this is what's going to happen. Well, the next verse says it this way. It says, well, then Pharaoh said to Joseph, well, since God has made you all to know this, or has made all this known to you, there is no one so discerning and wise as you. You shall be in charge, Joseph, of all my palace and all my people and are to submit to your orders. 
Now talk about the unexpected. How do you even pray for that? You know Joseph's not in jail going, God, if you could just make me the ruler of Egypt. (laughs) Nobody has that kind of vision. And so expect the unexpected means I don't know what God is going to do, but he's going to do something. God's not passive. He's full of compassion. He's going to work to your benefit. He's going to help you in times of trouble. He's not left you or forsake you. So at some point, you got to hunker down and you got to expect what you cannot predict. You got to expect the unexpected. And what happens is, what happens is, you have to have faith that God is good and for you in order for this to be helpful during times of trouble. Think about it. I mean, he didn't expect a supernatural gift. He never asked for it. He never expected to be in jail, to be able to uh, uh, talk with people in Pharaoh's court. He, he never expected to meet Pharaoh. He never expected to be heard or believed by Pharaoh. He certainly never expected to be put in charge of Egypt. I mean, you don't know how to ask God for this stuff. All you can do is hang on. But when you stop expecting the unexpected and everything for you becomes predictable, you will be discouraged because you're going to face trouble and trials and tribulations in a way that you will not know how to get out of it. And your predictions of how this ends will put you in a very bad place emotionally. And you'll lose your faith. Some of us have walked away from God because we could not figure out why we were in prison to begin with. Or in trouble to begin with. And why God let this happen. And we don't know how life's ever going to be good again without that loved one that you just lost. Or that child you lost. Or the job you lost. Or the marriage you lost. Or the money you lost. Or the addiction that's causing loss. Because you don't know how, I'm the same way, folks. You lose heart. And what I'm learning from Joseph is, okay, God, I got these lemons. I don't know how you're going to make lemonade out of this mess, man. It looks like a mess. But I'm going to expect that you're going to do something I cannot predict. And I'm going to trust you. And then tomorrow you've got to pray the same prayer because it doesn't stick. You just got to keep going back to it. God, you're going to do the unexpected. I wish you'd do it today. Now, I give God ideas along the way. You know, God, I don't know. If you're, if you're struggling with what to do, here's what you should do. <laughs> uh, he's never taken my advice. But here's what I'll tell you. Until then, until the unexpected happens, why don't you care about other people? Why don't you serve other people? Once you grow in your faith. Until the unexpected happens, you don't even know how to pray for it. Why don't you care about other people? Why don't you serve other people? And one day, this unexpected thing happens. And like Joseph, you'll only be able to point to God and say, God did something so amazing. It's been incredible. And God will give you heart and courage and strength, and you'll persevere. I hope it doesn't take two years. But whatever time it is, God is at work. I know you're going through trouble, and I'll tell you this. I'm sorry you are. I'm sorry we all have to 
struggle with a broken and fallen world, but here we are. It doesn't have to wreck us. We can really have hope in the midst of trials because God is a God of compassion. Let's depend on him. Expect the unexpected. Let's pray together. Will you pray with me? Father in heaven, thank you so much that even in the midst of the most difficult days, we can have hope in you. May we not be as circumstantially controlled as we oftentimes are, but may we find hope in you. And I pray, oh God, for those going through trouble, that you would, you would remind them of your love for them. And if you're going through trouble, whether at West End or Missouri City, why don't you reach out to God right now in your heart? Why don't you accept Jesus as your friend and Savior and forgiver? Just say, God, I believe Jesus died on the cross for me and was buried and rose again. And I want to be your friend. I don't know how, what you're going to do, but I know you're going to do something. Father, thank you for hope and compassion. In Jesus' name, amen.